John chapter 3 is where we're going to be. And uh, once you find it, go ahead and stand out of respect for God's word. And uh, we do that not out of habit, but because uh, Old Testament pattern, it, it seems like when they would open the word and read it together, they would stand. And uh, I just think it's good. It helps us concentrate on it and give our attention to the word. And uh, it's this, this book is worth standing for. And uh, it deserves our attention. John chapter 3. By the way, you're not standing for me. You're standing for the word of God. And uh, that's why we do that this morning. John chapter 3. This is one of the great chapters in all the Bible. What verse in John 3 uh, comes to your mind? Verse what? Verse 16. Yes, that's the one that you'll see at football games. They put on big posters sometimes. And sometimes I wonder if they have any idea what it means. Um, but we're going to get to that eventually, just not today. We'll look at just the first couple of verses here in this chapter and, uh, and look at a man who comes to Jesus by night. It says in verse uh, 1, chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And there's a lot that comes after that, but I'd like to just focus on looking at the man Nicodemus this morning and focusing on who he is and then uh, looking at some things I think that'll help us today um, out, of, out of his life, a, a character study on the man Nicodemus. Let's pray and ask God to meet with us. Lord, we do want your presence here. We want your Holy Spirit to work in us. We cannot do this on our own. I'm so thankful for the help that we have through the Holy Spirit, the great comforter, who also is the illuminator for us. Lord, he allows the word to be understood and seen clearly. And I pray that you do that in our hearts this morning. And I do pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not know you as a personal savior, that, that this morning this message would cause some seeds to be planted and maybe even decisions made regarding that. Lord, there's some urgency that's needed, that's often missing when it comes to eternal matters. And I pray today that you'd help us to all be urgent about what matters the most. We love you. We need you. We pray that you bless the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Some things just can't wait. I heard a story, um, or read a story, I should say, from a member of a U.S. Army Airborne School who was preparing for his first jump out of an airplane. And, uh, if I was getting ready to jump out of an airplane, I would be very interested in what my instructor has to say. Has anyone um, ever jumped out of an airplane in here? Okay, a few of you had. I'm not, I mean, a perfectly good plane. I'm not sure why you do that, but you know, uh, it's, it actually sounds like something if I could work myself up to do it, I might would do it at some point. But he was preparing to make his first jump and he recalled the sergeant telling them in training, if your main parachute should fail to deploy, don't panic, pull the, that's my first problem, <laughs> don't panic, he said, pull the handle of your auxiliary parachute. Should your auxiliary parachute fail to fill with air, don't panic, pull it in toward your body, and then vigorously throw it away from yourself. Should your auxiliary parachute fail again to deploy, don't panic, vigorously repeat the process. <laughs> then the sergeant paused and looked at everyone real intently and with a mischievous grin said, 
Should this fail also, don't panic. You'll have the rest of your life to get your parachute to deploy. And I thought, you'll get that at some point, you know. You know, I thought that's so true. Some things, you know, in that situation, I would be intense. I would be urgent. I, I would be thinking, I've got to take care of this right now. And, but some, and because some things you can't afford to put off. And, and many of us, unfortunately, though, live w thinking that we have more time than we do. That, see, we, there's an urgency about eternity. When you read the scripture, there's an urgency, but we act as if it doesn't matter. We act that, as if we have all the time in the world and, and, and there's not an urgent um, a desire in us to take care of things that are needed to be done. And honestly, we are often urgent about things that don't matter in eternity, that don't translate into eternity, while we put off the things that matter the most in eternity. And, and you know, today is a big day in NFL football. If you're a fan, it's the conference championship games. And we've got some Chiefs fans here um, and maybe some fans of the other teams. I don't know, but uh, we've got some fans around here. And today there's a lot of people that are pretty urgent about a football game, and yet in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter at all in eternity. We live in a culture where people are urgent about making money, and they're urgent about their career, and they're urgent uh, about their hobbies, and they're urgent about this or that, whatever it is, they're running around, and no one takes time for anything, and, and we feel this urgency always pressing on us, and yet most of the things that we spend our day doing don't matter in eternity. There was one man, though, who recognized the urgency of life as it pertains to eternity, and his name was Nicodemus. See, at this point, Jesus had become well-known. He had become publicly known, and he had begun performing miracles that caught people's attention. For those that hadn't heard about him before, um, he, you know, he had started at a wedding and turned water into wine. Then he went to the Passover, and there were some that still didn't know him. Uh, but after the Passover, they likely knew him because the first act that he did, he walked into the temple and he saw those that were selling animals for sacrifices and those that were exchanging money and upcharging so that they could earn an extra buck or two. And he drove them out of the temple because they had turned the father's house into a house of merchandise. And he was righteously angry because of what they were doing in the temple. And, and everyone at that point, pretty much everybody then, knew who he was. There were literally probably millions, a couple of million of pe people that would come to Jerusalem during the Passover. And you know that word got around. The Pharisees weren't happy. They come to him saying, what authority do you do this with? Um, but the people took note. They said, there's something different about this guy. And after he drove them out of the temple, um, then he started doing miracles. We're not told what miracles, but he probably was healing people. He was probably casting demons out and helping the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the lame to walk. Uh, you name it. He was doing those kinds of things. And John chapter 2, just a few verses before our text, John chapter 2 verse 23 says this. Look. It says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So they saw him doing these mighty works. They saw him doing these miracles. And it says they believed. They, they watched him do these incredible things. And they believed that he was who he says he was. 
They believed that he was from God. He had to be. Uh, who else could do this? But notice the, that their belief wasn't all sincere. Look at verse 24 of chapter 2. It says, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So they come along, they see him, well, let's just say they see him, raise a lame man, and, and then now he's walking around. There's no question that Jesus has done something supernatural to this guy. And they say, he's got to be from God. He has to be from God. Did you hear what that man, Jesus from Nazareth, did you hear what he did? Only somebody that's from God could do something like that, and they believed. But their belief stopped there. See, belief is not just acknowledging something to be true. Belief is also entrusting something to someone. It's taking what you know of them and placing your trust in them. You can say that you believe that this chair will hold you if you sit in it, but you don't prove it until you sit in the chair. And they never sat in the chair. They said, we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We, how can you do this unless you're from God? And they stood here, but never actually placed their trust and took it a step further to make a choice. By the way, that's salvation. Salvation is not that you know something. It's that you know something and then make a decision. That you place your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. We looked at this, this passage last week. See, they said they believed in him, but he would not commit himself to them. Essentially, they believed in him. He did not believe in them. See, they saw the miracles. They were impressed with what he did, but they never placed their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And you could say, in general, that's what most of the crowd did. They, they saw his miracles. They liked the spectacular. They believed that he was who he says he was, but they never placed their faith in, in him. And now, thankfully, some of them were sincere. And some weren't content to simply believe in the miracle. There were some that took it seriously. There were some that took it a step further. You could almost say this like this. You could say that this is, there's a segue. And, and just to re, maybe reword what John is trying to say, there, he says this. There were many insincere believers with superficial faith. But there was one unlike the rest. And his name was Nicodemus. See, this morning I'd like to just to make some observations about Nicodemus. It'll be a different kind of message. But I think there's some value here. Some observations about this man who was urgent to get to Jesus. I mean, this guy, he's falling through the air. His parachute has failed. His backup parachute has failed. And he is vigorously repeating the process. In other words, there's an urgency and he knows he has to get to Jesus. 
One thing I want to notice first about Nicodemus is he was a Pharisee. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. And most of us know who the Pharisees are. I don't want to bore you with details, but just so we can understand some things. The Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders. Nicodemus was a member of what's called the Sanhedrin, which was the Supreme Council in charge of the affairs of the Jews. And they were under, the Jews at that time were under Roman bondage. And the Sanhedrin acted as something of a buffer between the Jews and Rome. And this group was made of priests and religious leaders. And they would meet and decide on important, not just religious matters, but they would also decide on legal matters. They were almost the court system for the Jews. And, and you know, it should have been helpful for the Jews to not have to go to Rome for every, every little decision. Uh, I think there's some wisdom in, in setting up this group. The problem is the power went to the Pharisees' heads. See, they were over the people, not just religiously, but also politically and civil, in, in civil matters. And because of that, they became taskmasters. Religious, in religion, they added rule after rule to burden the people. Religion became a heavy drudgery for the people of God. It was not about a relationship. It was about doing what the Pharisees said. Not only that, they were over the courts, so church and state were interwoven. There was no distinction between the civil matters, criminal matters, religious matters. So the same high council oversaw all of them. So following God, listen, understand, I'm thankful for the way that our country has it set up. Um, the, the separation of church and state. By the way, that, that simply means that the state stays out of the church. It doesn't mean that the church has to stay out of the state. Uh, I mean, our, our country, our constitution, our government was, was influenced by religious, by, by biblical principles. And, and so now we've kind of made it more than it needs to be. But I am thankful there's a separation and here's why, because if you think about the Jews, the same people that were get, fining them for breaking laws uh, were also the ones in the temple teaching them about God. So there was no difference. So following God, listen, following God became kind of like obeying a traffic law. There's nothing personal about it. They were simply going through the motions like a good citizen would. And they would adhere to the Mosaic law. But the Bible says, Jesus Christ himself said in John 15, their hearts are far from me. They're doing everything on the outside and it looks good, but their hearts are nowhere near where, it needs, where they need to be. And the Pharisees followed the law more than everybody did. Pharisee, the word for Pharisee means separate or divided or distinguished. So they were set apart. They were, they were distinct from the people. They were, the average Jew was down here and the Pharisee was up here. Uh, their, their commitment to the law separated them. And they were viewed as better than everybody else. And because of that, there was a serious element of pride. They knew that they were more committed to the law and they carried that badge with honor. And by the way, this was the group that gave Jesus the hardest time. The people that were the most religious gave Jesus the hardest time during his ministry. They didn't like that he came ignoring their man-made rules. They didn't like that he came raising righteousness. And from the time in John 2 that he purged the temple, they didn't like him. 
They hated Jesus. And by the way, Jesus wasn't easy on them either. I mean, he called them, he called, called them hypocrites. Why did sepulchers? He, I mean, he, he went after them. And, and he went after them a lot more than he did the publicans and the sinners. And by the way, we ought to be careful. Those of us who might would say, uh, I'm a religious person. I've been in church for a long time. Uh, according to the, to the Bible, it could be that Jesus looks at us and says, you're being hypocrites and is a lot harder on us than he is on those who don't know any better. Be careful of simply going through the motions. The last thing we want to do is become Pharisees. But that's the group that Nicodemus came from. So the first thing is Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The second thing is this, Nicodemus was a ruler, it says. He was a ruler of the Jews. He, he clearly had authority within the, the Sanhedrin and among the people. Now, re remember that the lines between religion and civil matters overlap. So Nicodemus wasn't just a spiritual leader. He was also a civil leader. He had influence. Uh, we find a few chapters later in John 7 that, that Nicodemus, uh, the Pharisees are talking about Jesus... And they're talking about going after him and trying to get him arrested. And in John 7, 50 through 52, Nicodemus actually argues for Jesus to get a fair trial because that's the right thing to do. It says in John 7, just listen, Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, art thou also of Galilee? Search and look for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. So we see that it, later in John 7 that Nicodemus is standing up for Jesus Christ. That he's actually going to bat for Jesus in that situation. And we don't know all of his motives. But I do believe that Nicodemus had become loyal to Jesus Christ. He was willing to speak on Jesus' behalf. In John 19, at the end of the book, um, we find out after Jesus is crucified, Nicodemus brings about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Uh, you don't, two things about that. Uh, first, he had to be wealthy. He had influence. He had resources. But second, you don't do something like that after Jesus has been crucified by the people in your circle. You don't do that unless you're loyal to Jesus Christ. So clearly, something had taken place in Nicodemus. I believe that he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And he was taking a risk by preparing his body for death. So even though he was a ruler we find out that he was probably also a disciple. The third observation, and, and this one's short, is Nicodemus came by night. Verse 3 says this, this same came to Jesus by night. Say, thank you, Captain Obvious. That's, a, that's pretty obvious. Well, there's some speculation about this, though. See, some say that he came by night because he was afraid of being spotted with Jesus. Others say that he came by night so that he could have an uninterrupted conversation with Jesus because he's a, he was a genuine seeker. And, and if the other Pharisees were, had been involved, it's probably true that Nicodemus wouldn't have been able to talk to Jesus. The other Pharisees would have been all over him asking questions and, and he wouldn't get a word in. I don't necessarily believe that he's afraid for coming at night. Uh, I believe that he is clearly a man um, of influence. I believe he probably wasn't all that afraid of what his peers thought of him. I certainly believe that he sincerely wants to get some answers. 
He is, he is sincerely seeking Jesus. And the fact that he comes at night doesn't mean that he's afraid. I believe the fact that he comes at night means that he's urgent. Why? Because he could be sleeping. Nicodemus has questions. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the last thing that I, the last observation before we get into maybe what you might, might call the expositing of this, Nicodemus believed Jesus was from God. He calls him rabbi. He says, we know, verse 2, he said, and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Nicodemus, says, he acknowledges that Jesus must be a teacher from God. He's got to be something different if he can do the things he's doing. If he healed a blind man, so pay attention here. If he healed a blind man, there's no explanation other than the supernatural. If he, did, if he had done the things they saw him do, Nicodemus says there has to be something different. Listen, there are some things you can fake. You can fake some things on TV, like the fake healers do on TV. And by the way, don't buy into that. Can God heal? Absolutely he can, but he never promises to heal every sickness. He's not obligated to that. Um, sometimes it's not in his plans. And by the way, further, he certainly never intended for us to give credit for God's power to heal to a TV preacher who keeps asking you for money. Don't buy it. I mean, when Jesus performed miracles, those signs were meant to draw the Jews to himself, and they worked. But those signs have run their course, according to 1 Corinthians 13, and now we have God's word as his revelation of himself to us. Signs may draw them, but the word is what transforms them. And the miracles did their job. They pointed people to Jesus, but as we saw last time, most people stopped and embraced the miracles and never took it a step further to have genuine faith in Jesus Christ. But Nicodemus wasn't content with that. He knew he needed something more than what he had. He was genuinely seeking Jesus. So those are the observations that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler, but also probably a real follower of Jesus. He came to Jesus by night and he believed in Jesus. So what's the conclusion? Okay, so don't lose it right here because here's where we make the transition. See, Nicodemus, here's the conclusion. Nicodemus checks a lot of boxes. Now think about it. He's a religious person. He's an influential person. Um, he, he is urgent about this and he believes in Jesus. I mean, he's, there's nobody more religious than a Pharisee. You can't fault him for that. He's proven himself. He has influence. Uh, he's following God, clearly. He's a spiritual person. Uh, he's religious. He's respected. He's built up a reputation among his peers. He's a man who follows God. You know, people think godly when they think Nicodemus. So what's the problem? Well, you know, what's the issue here? Nicodemus is checking all these boxes. He looks the part. What's the issue? Well, there's one unchecked box. See, there's one box that isn't checked, and that is this. Nicodemus, he knows it's good to be religious, but that's not enough to help you sleep at night. It's good to be religious, but that's not enough to help you sleep at night. Listen, you, it's good to be religious, but that doesn't prove you have genuine faith. 
And it's wonderful if you're respected at church and you have influence. You ought to be. It's fantastic if you're faithful and you're proven and you're serious about God. We ought to strive for that. But those aren't the boxes that will help you sleep at night. See, here's a man who should have been sleeping, but he couldn't because he knew religion wasn't good enough. He knew that superficial belief wouldn't give him peace. And maybe his friends uh, were dismissing Jesus and the miracles, saying, well, he's got his power from the devil. They literally said that at times. But Nicodemus, he, he said, no, there's something different. And maybe his peers were saying, Jesus has got to be fake. Nobody ever came out of Nazareth. How could somebody from Nazareth be the chosen one? But something is going on. Listen, don't lose this today. Uh, Nicodemus, there's something going on in his heart Here's his self-talk. Are you ready? Do you have self-talk? Uh, do you ever talk? I don't even just mean out loud to yourself, but in your head, does anybody ever, okay, maybe I'm the only one. Okay, we all have self-talk. If you don't have self-talk, then we need to talk. <laughs> if there's no inner dialogue going on, no. We all have self-talk. And here's Nicodemus' self-talk. Ready? I can't sleep until I know. I've got to find out. No man can do the things that Jesus does unless he's from God. Here's the self-talk. I have to talk to Jesus. I have to talk to Jesus. And you say, well, you're sure passionate about that. Well, yes, I am. Because there's an urgency about this. I have to get to Jesus. I mean, if it means that I wait until nightfall, I don't care. I have to talk to Jesus. If it means that I lose my friends so I can finally be at peace, I have to talk to Jesus. If it means I lose everything, but I finally know the secret to the internal peace and rest I crave, I have to talk to Jesus. Nicodemus checked every external box, but inwardly there was no peace. Something was missing. Does that describe you this morning? You're religious. You were raised in church. You have the answers. You know the routine. You know the Bible stories. You serve. You contribute. Everybody on the outside would say, look at all the boxes they check. But deep down inside, there's a heaviness. There are questions that aren't answered. And rather than sleeping, you're tossing and turning. And if you're being honest, you're considering what anyone else, you're not, not considering what anyone else would say. Right now in your heart, you're saying, I have to talk to Jesus. I can't go on like this. I can't keep pretending. I, can't, I don't want to fake it anymore. I, I check all the boxes, but this box inside right here, this one's not checked. Right now, I've got to talk to Jesus. So countless religious people are just this morning ignoring the unrest. And they know that something's missing. And they know there's something not there. They just, they'll carry on. There's no urgency. I mean, they're, they've jumped out of the plane and they're trying, you know, to get the parachute and it's not working. So now they're just kind of enjoying the scenery. Jumped out of the plane and they think they have all kinds of time. 
Many know that there's a void, but they drown it out with alcohol or drugs. I mean, along the way, rather than fix the issue, they've just hidden the issue. They're entertaining themselves and distracting themselves. And maybe there's somebody in this room today and you just put on a smile and you just carry on and you've been doing it a long time, just like Nicodemus. And people might look at you as a good person, not saying you're not a good person. They might look at you as a, as a good friend, a, a faithful person, maybe even religious, because you check all the boxes when it comes to being a respectable church member, and you check all the boxes when it comes to being a respectable person. But deep down inside, you don't have peace. And everyone says the outside looks great, but on the inside you're saying, this can't be everything. I have to talk to Jesus. I have to get this settled. You know, there's one more observation here about Nicodemus, and it's not explicit, it's more implicit. That's this, Nicodemus is the only one that comes asking questions. See, I believe there are countless people um, all over Jerusalem who are in the same position Nicodemus was in, but they didn't show up that night. And I believe there are countless people all over this globe and all over Sioux Falls who should be in a place like this this morning, thinking, I have to talk to Jesus. But they've tried religion and it's not enough. So they're just going about their day. Listen, there, there are lots of like Nicodemus who've been exposed to Jesus, but they didn't get out of bed this morning to come see him. Maybe that's like you. I'm thankful that you're out of bed. But listen, it's not always enough. There were plenty of people in the temple and they went to the temple the day after this and they still weren't right with Jesus Christ. See, there are plenty of applications here and the first one is the gospel. You know he came to die for your sins. And you know, you've heard it your whole life, you know, unless you place your trust in him alone for salvation that you can't spend eternity in heaven and that you'll be separated from God forever in a place called hell, a literal place. And you've heard it many times, but like Nicodemus's friends, you've kind of just pushed it to the back of your mind. You're trying to forget it. You're trying to drown it out. Why? Why would we? Well, the Jews, they, they didn't want to question the system. They had a system of religion and they were comfortable with it and, and they didn't want to step outside the box. They were afraid to rock the boat. They were, they were afraid of upsetting the system. So instead of, listen, listen, so instead of following the conviction of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, they just went to bed. And it wasn't good sleep, but they just laid there anyway. You're going to have to come to terms with Jesus Christ. If you're going to have the peace and the rest that you desire. Nicodemus came asking questions which we'll explore next time and, and, and look at some, those questions, some of those questions. But he had questions like this. If Je you're going to have to answer some questions. You know, you're going to have to answer questions like if Jesus did miracles in front of all those witnesses, how can I say he's not God? If Jesus was seen, if he, was, if he died and was buried and he was seen of over 500 people all at once that knew who he was, how can I explain that away? If he rose from the dead 
that I'm going to have to explain that away. If Jesus has the authority to go into the temple and, and purge the temple, then he must be the son of God. Which, but that also means that if he had authority over the temple and he is the son of God, then he also has authority over my life. And he has the, the authority to judge my life. And one day I'm going to stand before him in judgment and I'm going to have to answer for my life. I'm going to have to answer not just for the things I did, but for how I did, what I did with Jesus. Did I receive him as my savior? Did I place my trust in him or not? Listen, I'm going to have to stand before God someday and you will too. And we'll all answer for the life that we live. And listen, if there's urgency in that thought in your mind today, then here's my answer to you. You have to talk to Jesus. If you're concerned about your salvation, today's the day to talk to Jesus. Christian, if you've been faking it and you're just going through the motions and there's nothing genuine or real and you're like the people in the temple just walking through the religious system, if there's urgency in your heart about that, because you will soon stand before Jesus Christ and answer for the things that you did in this life, if there's urgency about that, then guess what? Today's the day to talk to Jesus about it. To get it right and to become sincere again and to renew that relationship and to stop going through the motions. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, all of us, every one of us right now have needs in our lives. I'm not trying to put needs in your heart, but we all have things in our life that we need to talk to Jesus about. We're not perfect. We don't have all the answers. But Jesus Christ does. Amen. It's time to talk to Jesus. And I'm not trying to be trite about that. I'm just saying that is the mentality of Nicodemus. He came at night. He was urgent. He was falling fast. And he knew something needed to be done. If you don't have peace, don't go to sleep until you talk to Jesus about it. If you feel like there's an urgency, you don't have enough time. You don't have as much time as you think. Uh, who wants to get to the end of our lives and realize we just went through the motions instead and nothing mattered? I read a, a few years back, Timex, which is the watch company, it asked people how long they would wait taking action in different circumstances. Researchers discovered most of us, I don't know how much I believe these, but you know, it's on the internet, it's got to be true. Researchers discovered most of us will wait only 13 seconds before we honk at a car in front of us that stopped at a green light. It's like 13 seconds is an eternity. Three seconds maybe? Two and a half? I'm not talking about a mean honk. I mean just a boop, just a little honk, right? Most of us will wait only 26 seconds before we take the seat of someone who's walked away. Again, I mean, seems pretty long, but many of us will, will wait 45 seconds before we ask someone who's talking too loud on a cell phone to keep it down. Many of us will wait only 13 minutes max for a table at a restaurant. They haven't been to Sioux Falls or Texas Roadhouse recently, apparently. Many of us will only wait 20 minutes for a blind date to show up before we leave. I don't know about that one. Most of us will wait only 20 minutes for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before we dig in. 
No, but listen, some of those are rude, some of those are funny, but none of those are, are life-altering. See, our problem is the average person will wait far too long before they talk to Jesus. And it's time to talk to Jesus Christ. It's time, like Nicodemus, to say, I can't wait. I mean, the parachute is, is not opening. And I'm falling fast. And unless I talk to Jesus, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. And maybe that describes the, the, thing, the things going on in your life right now. And you've got issues in your life and you've got problems. You're, you've got unrest. You've got no peace. And it's time. I don't know what to tell you except that it's time to talk to Jesus Christ. Right. It'll be too late if you wait too long. Most people are not urgent, urgent enough. So here's the truth. The line to Jesus Christ shouldn't have, shouldn't have... No, the line to Jesus Christ should have been around the block that night. The line to talk to Jesus should have been down the street and around the corner and all the way back to the temple, wherever he was. Nicodemus shouldn't have been the only one that had to talk to Jesus. But no one else seemed to care. No one else seemed to have the urgency. And my point this morning is this, don't miss your moment. There's, I can tell you this, there's not just one person in this room that needs to talk to Jesus Christ. Here's some hope as we start to wrap this up. Jesus met Nicodemus at night. That's one observation about Jesus I don't want to miss here. Here's the great thing about this, is that Jesus met Nicodemus at night when he could have been sleeping. Which means this, that Jesus Christ is willing to do whatever it takes to give you an opportunity to talk to him. In other words, there's not a bad time for him. You can't call him when he's out of the office. You can't come to him when he's too busy and booked up. Listen, if you come to Jesus, if you say, I have to talk to Jesus, I have to get my salvation settled. Christian, I have to get my walk fixed. If you come to Jesus Christ, he's never once turned anybody away. Any hour of the night, he never sleeps. He doesn't slumber like Elijah. He's not busy doing something else like he told the prophets of Baal, like their God was. No, he is ready and waiting. And you say, I'm not sure that he would talk to me. Listen, there's nobody he won't visit with. There's nobody he hasn't opened his arms wide to. And knowing that, you've heard the word preached we're in a place this morning where decisions can be made. And I just want to ask you, why would you wait to talk to Jesus? Why would you wait to get it figured out? There should be a sense of urgency. But you have to be willing to let go of your pride and talk to Jesus. And you have to be willing to let go of your religion and talk to Jesus Christ. And you have to be willing to come to him in humility and, and stop putting it off and stop delaying and stop saying my good works are good enough because they're not enough. And you have to come and say, I have to talk to Jesus. It's time. And some of you have been waiting your whole life to do it. And you'll say, I'll wait a little bit longer. Well, you don't know how much longer you have to wait. Nicodemus didn't wait. First night, he went 
the first chance he had. Genuine seekers don't put Jesus off. They say, there's no better time than right now. I have to talk to Jesus. So stop putting off whatever it is you know you have to talk to Jesus about. Would you talk to him this morning? Would you be willing to come to the end of yourself and say, listen, all the other boxes are checked, but the one that really matters, the, the one inside, the one that, the peace, the rest, it's not there. And I have to talk to Jesus this morning. To those that aren't saved, would you be willing to get that settled? Just come talk to Jesus. By that I mean you could come, we could show you from God's word how you can know that you're saved this morning. To the Christian, aren't you tired of playing the religious game? And you're checking a lot of boxes, but you're not sleeping at night because you know there's something not right. It's time to get that right with Jesus. Would you be willing this morning to talk to Jesus? Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you know that you're saved this morning? I know there's a room full of people here, and I, I would trust that most people have, have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, but I know that in a room this size, there are probably those that aren't saved. And listen, the most important thing you could do is come this morning and talk to Jesus about salvation. And to come and say, I am so urgent about this, I have to take care of this today. Because there is no more greater urgency than eternity. And if you wait too long, you might miss your opportunity. Don't miss it. Would you be willing to place your faith in Jesus by responding this morning to the gospel? We have people up front that would be more than willing to meet you and pray with you about it. But to the Christian this morning, I know it's a simple application. Is there something on your heart that you've been holding on to and you've not let go of and and you need to just let, you need to talk to Jesus about it. There's an urgent, there's got to be an urgency in your heart to say, you know, I'm tired of going the direction I'm going. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of the religious system. I want a relationship with Christ and it's time to talk to Jesus about it. Are you willing to humble yourself and do whatever it takes? Like Nicodemus came at night. Would you be willing to humble yourself and come and talk to Jesus? Father, pray for your help this morning. Help us all to be willing to humble ourselves before you. And if there's those that aren't saved, help them to place their trust in Jesus Christ. If there are those who are going through the motions, help us to repent of our religious system and make it a relationship. God, however you work, Lord, do a work in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.